Let's hear the word of God today. Our Bible reading is taken from the epistle of Paul, the apostle, to the Colossians. I'm reading from chapter 1, and I want to read together the first 14 verses. The words will come up on the screen. Please follow along, and if you can read your own copy of the Bible, then that will also be tremendous. Let's hear the word of God. Colossians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timotheus, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ which are at Colossae, grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which you have to all the saints, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come unto you as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit, as it doth also in you, since the day ye heard of it, and knew the grace of God in truth, as ye also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of the gospel, who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, unto all patience and long-suffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Amen. We know the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of his own infallible and inerrant word. Now this morning, I'm commencing a series of expository sermons in Paul's letter to the church at Colossae. And today my text is taken from Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. It reads as follows, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timotheus, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae, grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, my theme today, I've entitled it, The Discovery of a New Beginning. And I want us to think especially of the words, a new beginning. Now, there's five things I want to show you from this text of Scripture. I'm not attempting to be exhaustive in this introductory message, but I'm attempting to at least help to prize open the text of sacred scripture so that we get a better understanding of this new 
beginning. So I've given you the text, I've given you the theme, and let's think of the first of these five particular things. I want you to think, first of all, of the particulars of Colossae. Colossae was a small backwater town, a little insignificant place within the Roman Empire. So what do you think of a small town? And you who are listening, familiar with Northern Ireland, can think of Balnehinch and St. Field and Comper. We could even think about our own town here of Tarry Duff. Colossae was located 100 miles east of Ephesus in western Asia Minor. It's now modern-day Turkey. And I have to tell you, sadly, there's no such church at Colossae in modern-day Turkey. It doesn't exist today. Did you know that Colossae was also 10 miles from another place that's mentioned in the Bible called Laodicea? And 13 miles from a place called Hierapolis. And these three small towns were located in the Lycus Valley in Western Asia Minor. Colossae was once a, a thriving, popular, important place. It was a very growing trade route. So we've got to think of a town now full of commerce. There's different classes of people there backgrounds and stations and different creeds there. There's Jews and Gentiles. And of course, there's, there's crime there. There's cash there to be made. However, in the process of time, the trade route shifted. It moved from Colossae 10 miles to Laodicea. And the trade route declined. So did the population. And so did the town of Colossae. And by Paul's day, Colossae was the uh, least insignificant, the least unimportant place within the empire. So it lost its significance. It's lost its importance within the empire. As I've already said, the population dwindled. The inhabitants now were mostly pagan Gentiles. There was a, a, a small Jewish community there. So when you think of the word Colossae in the Bible, it's mentioned there in verse 2. You can underline that. I want you to think of the least important town in the whole of the Roman Empire. And Colossae was one such town. It was like the town that time forgot. And yet in that least unimportant insignificant place, that seemingly insignificant place, that wee backwater of a place, God in his sovereign grace and mercy planted a church there. And that's why Colossae is mentioned in the Bible, because there was a New Testament church planted in Colossae. So there's the first thing, the particulars of Colossae. It was an unimportant, insignificant, backwater little place a hundred miles from the modern city of Ephesus. I want you to think, secondly, of the placement 
of the church in Colossae. You see, the church at Colossae was the fruit or the outgrowth of the ministry of the Apostle Paul in Ephesus. According to Acts 19 verse 10, you've got the words, and this continued by the space of two years, so that all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. And it was during this time when the Apostle Paul was in Ephesus that a man by the name of Epaphras was converted to Christ. So you've got to think of Epaphras converted to Christ under Paul's ministry. And where does he come from? He comes from this insignificant, unimportant little place called Colossae. So he's a native of Colossae. And there was another man who was also a native of Colossae, and his name was Philemon. Epaphras then went back to Asia Minor, began to preach the word of God in the Lacus Valley. And in that very place, the gospel took root. And there these three towns were visited in that valley, Colossae, Laodicea, and Herapolis. And the local inhabitants, mostly pagan Gentiles in origin, a, a, a number of Jews, and, and some of these Jews strangely had embraced some of the pagan practices into their scheme of Judaism. And uh, the, 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 the gospel uh, took root there. The gospel worked. A number of people were converted. And as a result, there was the formation of a New Testament church. And I believe it met, at least in the beginning, in the house of Philemon, who was also a very wealthy man and landowner. And now he's converted to Christ. And once the church was established, it soon became evident that the lives of these individuals were changed and transformed. Why? Because they had a love for Christ that they didn't have before. They had a love for the souls of men that they didn't have before. There's now an admissionary and zeal and evidence in this church is only three to maybe five years old at this time. Uh, there was definitely a love for the truth, a love for righteousness, a love for true holiness. And into that very New Testament assembly, sadly as it happens in the uh, process of time, certain problems began to emerge and surface. And one such problem was the problem of false teaching and false doctrine. And that false doctrine and false teaching threatened the very heart of this small congregation, this New Testament church. It's only an infant church. It was a threat to its well-being, a threat to its very existence. And here's Epaphras, and he's thinking, what do I do here? How can I deal with this problem of heresy in the church? Well, here's what he did. He set off on the thousand-mile journey to Rome. He visited the Apostle Paul, who was under house arrest. If you look with me at the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 28, and we read there in verse 30 and verse 31 of what is said there. And Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house and received all that came unto him preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus with all confidence, no man forbidding him. One such man was Epaphras. How do I know that? If you look at Colossians chapter 1 and verse 7, it says, As ye also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, 
who is for you a faithful minister of Christ. Epaphras was a faithful minister of Christ. And he left that little congregation, took this thousand-mile journey to go to Paul. What shall I do with this false teaching that's emerged in Colossae, that's affecting our church? It's threatening its very existence. We read in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 12, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand in perfect and complete in all the will of God. Epaphras was concerned for the will of God for the church at Colossae. So Paul heard firsthand how the church was being plagued by this false teaching, what the false teaching was. We'll come to that in the process of time. So in response to that false teaching, Paul wrote this very pastoral letter church at Colossae. And the letter is all about protecting the church from false teaching. Think of it. Here's why the town of Colossae is mentioned in the Bible. There's a new church, New Testament church there. God had a people there. There's, there's people in Christ there. And that New Testament assembly was under attack and under threat from false teaching. And here's Paul under house arrest Epaphras visits him and to counteract and deal with this false doctrine that's attacking and infiltrating the church, he wrote this very pastoral letter. You read there in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 16, And when this epistle is read among you, cause that it be read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and that ye likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. Now, this was a circular letter. It's a pastoral letter. And isn't it amazing that the Apostle Paul wrote this most glorious, this wonderful letter to a church that was located in a very small, insignificant backwater of a place? Do we not often feel insignificant and unimportant? Do we not often feel that we don't count in the bigger picture of things? Do we not often feel that we would not be missed if we were not in our individual place in the house of God? Or that we would not be missed if the church door closed and carried off? I want to say, you'd be totally wrong. Because this little church in Colossae was needed. It was wanted. It was loved. It was prayed for. And more than that, this church needed and deserved to be preserved. Why? Because it belonged to Christ. It was in Christ. It was part of his body. It was part of his church worldwide on earth and part of his church in heaven. I want to tell you this morning, there's no such thing as an insignificant, unimportant New Testament assembly. Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst. And Mark and I have Christ with us this morning, according to his promise. You in your home, wherever you're at, in your kitchen, your lounge, your bedroom, Christ is there. Think of that believer, where two or three of you are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst. 
Christ is present. Lo, I am with you always, he says. And I want to tell you something else. There's no such thing as an insignificant, unimportant believer. If you're born again this morning, and washed in the blood of Christ, and know the forgiveness of sins, and Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, and you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and you have the privilege of calling God as Heavenly Father, you're not insignificant. You're not unimportant. Do you know that you're special to the Lord? Why? Because you're His. You belong to Him. And there's no insignificant or unimportant parts of the body of Christ. Maybe you feel that you don't belong to a particular place. Maybe you feel you're not really that important. Or maybe you feel that you're in a remote, out-of-the-way place, and you'd be better off if you're not here. And, and, and you don't count, and you'd be better shutting up shop. Could I encourage you this morning? Listen to me as a pastor. If you're saved this morning, and if you're in Christ, God has put you somewhere among a family, among a company of his people, and he's placed you there so that you can do a work for him, that you can be there and live and share the gospel to the glory of his name. Epaphras would have said, but I'm not the greatest preacher, Paul. I'm not highly educated. I don't have the biggest church, certainly not in the same league as Ephesus. We're not in the best location. We're not the richest or the grandest. We're not the most powerful or influential. And yet, God had placed him in Colossae. God had given him this little congregation. And it was a privilege to minister to that congregation. It was a privilege to preach the gospel there. It was a privilege to be involved in God's work. You see, I reject the idea that it was only a backwater and it doesn't count. And sometimes the devil would tell us that and carried off. It's only a backwater and it doesn't count. That's the devil's lie. We're part of the body of Christ. That This is God's work. We're here to witness for Christ. And this work is worth preserving. The, the work is worth protecting. And the gospel is worth proclaiming. So here's the message this morning. You might be small. You might be insignificant. You might be in a backwater kind of place. You're not the richest. You're not the most influential and powerful. You're facing many problems. But you're special to me. See, this church was facing an attack. The attack was at the very heart of the gospel. The attack had to do with Christ they questioned his deity. Is he really the son of God? They questioned his authority. They questioned his centrality, his sufficiency. And what do we do when we're under attack? And God's people are confused and discouraged in despair. People are overwhelmed. What does Paul do? He sets forth Christ. He sets forth the power of the gospel. He sets forth the person and work of Christ. You've got to think not only of the particulars of Colossae, but you've got to think of the placing of the church in Colossae. I want you to think thirdly this morning as we introduce 
our series of expository sermons, the penman to Colossae. Look at chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timotheus, our brother. Now, let's pause there. Who wrote the letter? You've got the answer, Paul. Think of his identity. From the day of his conversion in Damascus Road, the Lord had raised him up to be a spiritual giant among his people. This man was a true believer. A powerful preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This man had an understanding and a grasp of the gospel that many didn't have and don't have today. This man grew up to be one of the greatest missionaries of all time. He made three missionary journeys. And you could read of those journeys in the book of Acts. This man turned out to be the pastor of many of the New Testament churches. Including Ephesus for a time. A hundred miles um, East lay Colossae. This man was a powerful New Testament writer. He wrote 14 out of the 27 books of the New Testament. That's over half. This man was a planter of churches. This man was a martyr for Christ. And do you know what his life motto was, young people? It was this. I think of it often, Philippians 1 and verse 21. For me to live as Christ... And to die as gain. What did Paul live for? He lived for Christ. Young people, what are you living for today? Do you live for Christ? Are you in Christ? So that you can live for Christ, through Christ? This man was all for Christ. Only Christ. And not only in life, but even in death. He says, for me to live as Christ and to die. Well, that's going to be gain. Of course, I go to be with Christ, which is far better. There's a story told of a, a Russian pastor who was visiting the United States of America. And during the course of the visitation in the midst of the ministry, he was taken to a baseball game. Could have been an American football game, I'm not sure. It was one of the other. But the pastor that took him asked his Russian friend and colleague in the ministry, what did you think of our sporting game? And this was his response. First class dedication to a secondary cause. First class dedication to a secondary cause. The apostle Paul could never be accused of that. And haven't we got first class dedication to secondary causes? First class dedication to work, to sport, to making money. Even first class dedication to protecting our weak country and, and our flag and all the rest. But not the Apostle Paul. He knew that man's chief end was to glorify God and enjoy him forever. He knew to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things shall be added unto you. So the kingdom of God was first. The reign and rule of God in his heart. That was primary to Paul. So Paul could say for me to live as Christ. And to die as gain. That was the motto of his life. There's his identity. Notice his authority. An apostle of Jesus Christ. By the will of God. An apostle was a very special man. Apostle means a sent one. Or a special messenger. And there was 12 apostles according to the New Testament. 
We could add the Apostle Paul as one born out of due time. You see, these men had the criteria to be an apostle. They had seen the risen Christ face to face. They, they, they were witnesses of his resurrection. They had power to perform miracles. They were directly appointed and chosen by Christ. Notice that out of the 12 apostles, 13 including Paul, if we add him in, there was no woman. I want to tell you something else. There's no such thing as an apostle today. The apostles had no successors. I refute the teaching of the Church of Rome that the Pope is the successor of Peter. I refute those in the God Channel, and I've heard of them, who claim to be prophets today, sent of God, who claim to be an apostle today, a special messenger from God, a mouthpiece from God. I want to tell you I believe that's a lie. I believe they have no warrant for saying that. You see, the New Testament church is already founded and established. The Bible's already complete. We do not need directly appointed mouthpieces for God today because we've got the word of God to the law and to the testimony. If they speak not according to this word, it is because there's no light in them. The answer is, what saith the scriptures? We have a far greater word of prophecy. The word of truth, the word of light, the gospel. You see, there's no biblical warrant for teaching apostolic succession. We have got the fundamentals and the foundational teaching of the New Testament. The Apostle Paul didn't take a test and pass it, say, okay, you're fit to be an apostle. This man was appointed by the will of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ. By the will of God. He was saved. He was selected to serve in the apostleship. So you've got to think of his identity. Think of his authority. I want you to think of his family very quickly. Notice the words here. And Timotheus our brother. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that lovely? Timotheus our brother. Timothy was a young pastor in the church at Ephesus. He was a very delicate young man, very shy and timid. He was often sick. Uh, he was hesitant. He needed much encouragement. He, he probably cried a lot. Now, this was Paul's son in the faith. Paul had led him to the Lord. This young man was in Christ. He was part of the family of God. And, 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 and here's Paul, and he's identifying with this young man. And Timotheus, our brother, isn't it wonderful that Paul, the aged in prison, was encouraging one of the younger pastors? He, he mentioned him for encouragement. He, he, he mentioned him because he, he ministered to him. Our brother, he's, he's one of us. And it's wonderful to be able to do that. The aged sister should encourage the younger sister. The, the aged brother should encourage the younger. The aged pastor should encourage the younger pastor. There's his family. Notice his loyalty to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ which are at Colossae. You see, Paul's in jail, remember. He's under house arrest. He's in Rome. He has never visited this city. He never left Ephesus. At least we don't read of it. 
It was Epaphras' convert that, that went to Colossae and Laodicea and Herapolis and, and, and preached the gospel and saw souls saved. It was Philemon that opened his house and allowed the New Testament church to meet there. If you look at Colossians chapter 4, verse 18, it reads, The salutation by the hand of Paul. Remember my bonds. Grace be with you. Amen. See, Paul had lost his freedom. This was a prison ladder, one of four prison ladders. And here he is in the midst of adversity and trial and trouble. He's not thinking of himself. He's got feeling eyesight. And, and he, he, he dictates this letter, which is written down. But when it comes to the greeting or the salutation, Paul writes it with his own hand. And here's a man that's willing to do all that he can to help the work of God. He's loyal to Christ. He's loyal to his cause. And when he hears of what's happening at Colossae, he wants to help. So you've got the particulars of the city of Colossae. You've got the placement of the church at Colossae. You've got the pen man who's the correspondent to Colossae. And I want you to think of the people in Christ in Colossae. Notice how he describes God's people. Look at verse 2. To the saints and faithful brethren in Christ which are at Colossae. The people in Christ at Colossae, they've got a testimony. They're in Christ. There was a day when they were without Christ, but then they were showing their sinnership, knew they had a soul, knew they needed to be saved, heard that Jesus Christ is the only Savior of sinners, and they put their faith and trust in Christ as Lord and Savior. And I want to ask this morning, are you in Christ? Have you have a testimony to the saving and keeping power of Christ? Are you among the people of God? You see, it's important that you recognize that. It says, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ. I want you to notice the church has to do with the people. Do you understand that? That that should encourage us. The church is the people. The body of believers. Those in Christ. You see the church of Rome. Makes the church to center around the Pope and the clergy. The lady don't matter. But in the New Testament. The church is the people. I, I want you to understand that. That I believe is for our encouragement and help. A people with a testimony. That they're in Christ. I want you to think of their purity. Notice the words here. To the saints. You see the word saints speaks of holy ones. Ones who are set apart. Ones who are consecrated for sacred use. And the word saints to me. Uh, speaks of ownership. It speaks of discipleship. It, it speaks of relationship. Those people that have a testimony in Christ are a pure people. They're, they're, they're known as the saints. We're known as Christians and disciples and many other uh, things by way of description. But, but here's one of them. Saints. What does that mean? It means that they're alive. Living saints. 
It's not that they've been declared to be saints a thousand years after they're dead. It's not that their bodies are lying in a cemetery and some priest or pope comes along and, and pronounce them to be saints then with some sort of meritorious ability to uh, help people in the road to heaven and home. No, these are living saints, real people. In real time, spiritual people whose motto is holiness unto the Lord. These people have been purchased by blood. You see, the root idea of saintliness is connected to holiness, a life of sanctification. And, and that life of sanctification is always unto the Lord on the basis of the blood sacrifice. The death of Christ saves us people, but the death of Christ also sanctifies the people, sets them apart unto God for sacred and holy use. Listen to the word of God. In Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 12, we read, look at the text on the screen now. Look at the text in your Bible. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 12. Wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Think of that. Wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, Suffered without the gate. The same idea is taught in Hebrews chapter 9 and in the verse uh, 13. This is what it says. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh. Verse 14. How much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offer himself without spot to God purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And of Hebrews chapter 10 verse 29 we read of how much more punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy of trodden underfoot the Son of God and accounted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and have done despite unto the spirit of grace. Notice it's not the word saved. Now that's included. We have been purchased by blood. But it's the sanctifying of the people. It's legally declaring them holy in the sight of God. It's holiness unto the Lord on the basis of the blood sacrificed by Christ. You see, we're his by redemption. And, and the saints are his by redemption. In fact, he, he mentions redemption in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of his sins. There's the blood sacrifice of Christ coming to the fore. We're his by conquest. Jesus Christ came into our lives. He triumphed over us by the power of the gospel, the word of our salvation. The grace of God conquered us and changed us, renewed our will, gave us a heart and mind and, and a, a desire and affections for Christ, for, for truth and for righteousness. He, he renewed our will after him. He, he leads us about in triumph, leads us to a life of power and victory because of his cross work, because of his blood sacrifice. And it's all rooted in the undeserving, unmerited uh, uh, grace of God. And, and, and therefore as saints were consecrated unto the Lord. And because we're saved now, we make a full and total surrender to the Lord. We're, we're his. I have to tell you this morning, I reject the doctrine that you as a believer can claim Christ as your Savior, but have no intention of making him the Lord of your life. 
No intention of allowing him to reign over you, rejecting him as Lord and Master. There's no such teaching in the New Testament. To whom did Paul write? To the saints who are at Colossae in Christ. Notice the words here, and faithful brethren in Christ. Not only did they have a testimony of purity unto the Lord, but they had a fidelity as well. Notice the words, and faithful brethren in Christ. In other words, they were trustworthy. They were not going to drift. They were not going to be easily moved. They were going to stand true to the word of their faith. And of course, the word faithful brethren um, reminds us that these brethren were not only trustworthy, but they were also full of faith. Both are connected. These were true believers who had true beliefs that they held on to. And you can't divide uh, between uh, faithfulness and faith. These believers, as born-again believers, had a body of truth that they believed in. They had also been gifted the gift of faith, so they have experienced the act of believing. And all that they believed in was centered in Christ. I want to say this morning, as a true believer, you cannot reject the body of truth that's been revealed about the personal work of Christ. We're not only saved by faith, but we live by faith. Isn't this what we have discovered in the past in Galatians 2 and 20? I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And you see, all true believers, that body of truth that they believe in, that they hold to about the person and work of Christ, and that act of believing, it's all related back to the gospel. Their testimony is that they were once without Christ and are now in Christ. And in Christ to be made pure and they've got this motto of holiness unto the Lord. And they're faithful brethren. They're going to hold to that by way of a spirit of fidelity. And they'll not deny that. And they'll certainly not turn away from it. They'll not denounce it. You see, overlapping this is the word brethren. They're in a, a relationship. They're part of the family. They're brothers and sisters in Christ. And in Christ they have fellowship. And they're marked by belief. They're marked by behavior. Notice the word Colossae here. There's their natural home environment. This small backwater town. And they're in Christ. And this people that have a testimony to purity in Christ. That are faithful and, and exercise fidelity to him. These people have a maturity because I want you to notice the words to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae. Do you see that? You've got to think of pagan Gentiles that have been converted. You've got to think of Jews that have also been converted. And they're together with, in this relationship. They're faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae. And they've got their own likes and dislikes. They have their own peculiarities. They've got their own tensions and turmoils. They have their own culture and background and expressions. But first and foremost, they remember they're in Christ. There's a unity among them. The unity of God's people, whatever their differences. In the natural world, they remember that they're children of God in Christ and they're dear to the Lord. And they're near to him. And therefore they're near to each other. 
You see, this church remembered that. And oh, that we could remember that. As, as we think here of this uh, people in Christ at Colossae, what were they like? They had a testimony of purity unto the Lord. And they exercised fidelity. And they displayed a maturity amongst them, which, which brought about their, their true unity. That's true ecumenism in Christ, taking a stand for truth and righteousness, having a, a fervent missionary spirit and a love to the Lord. You know, so often we say it's hard and difficult to live for Christ in our day and generation. But it was hard and difficult for these people in the midst of the Roman Empire with Nero on the throne. You see, there's nothing new of it being hard and difficult. These people had it hard and difficult. I know we say we have it hard and difficult today. We've got the influence of the television and the internet, and we have ungodly professors at university to deal with, and we've got uh, the explosion of pornography, and we've got a drink and drug culture, and we've got the uh, drive for the acceptance of homosexuality and transgenderism, and people are just living lives as pagans without God. But what's new? There's nothing new. Men are still hard. Men are still dead. Men are still dark. And yet this little church, this little church that was dear to the Lord and that were near to each other, this was a fervent missionary church, only five or six years in existence. And we and Carrie Duff can learn from that. And even though we feel insignificant and unimportant, therefore we can take a stand for truth and righteousness. The people in Christ. A proclamation from Christ to Colossae. That's the fifth point. This is only the introduction now. I haven't really begun to open up the ladder. Notice the words as we finish. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Note the order here. Grace be unto you. God always deals with us in grace. It's grace first. And maybe you're listening to me this morning and you need grace from God. You've experienced saving grace, but you need sustaining grace. Maybe you're bewildered, you're discouraged, you're disheartened, you're confused, and you're ready to quit, and you can't understand it all. And you need grace. Well, there's grace available. Hebrews, again, in chapter 4, what do we read in the verse 16? Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time. Of need, There's grace for you. Not only saving grace and serving grace, sustaining grace, succoring grace. The supply of grace can stream to meet your need this morning. Grace be unto you. Whatever your situation, whatever your struggle, there's grace for you this morning. Isn't that wonderful? And notice this word, peace. And peace from God our Father. And the Lord Jesus Christ, notice the source of peace here. God the Father and God the Son. Here's the church that's under attack. There's heresy abounding. This heresy has to be revealed. It has to be rejected. And the people of God need to be at peace. Peace that passes all understanding. Not only peace with God, but the peace of God. Doesn't the Bible say that I'm in perfect peace whose mind is stayed in thee? Because he trusteth in thee. I wonder this morning, as you have listened to me, as we've sought to have this introductory message, 
Is your greatest need grace from the Lord and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ? It's available. You can receive this by faith. This is the proclamation from Christ to Colossae. Christ is speaking through the pen of Paul. And I'm speaking in Christ's name to you. Grace be unto you. Undeserved, unmerited favor despite your situation, your circumstance. And peace. Peace in the midst of trial. Peace in the midst of tears. Peace in the midst of brokenness. May you know that this morning. And a thousand things more beside. The Lord bless you today. Thank you for listening. The next week in the will of God, we'll continue to open up this book of Colossae. And we'll begin to understand Paul's reason for writing. Understand what this heresy is. And how best to deal with it according to the mind and will of God.